Often, we find it easy to blame the instances in our early life for being the reasons preventing us from getting to where we want to be or where we believe we should be. We allow the circumstances we are born into to be the chains holding us back from self-actualization, self-liberation and self-determination. And if not that, we find other reasons or people around us to be the reason for our lack of inner pride or belief. True, they can play a part, but what if the most dire negative circumstances could be used as a springboard rather than a cage? Where could you guide your life to? How far could you reach? Well, it's the life of a Limerick woman who shows us that life is about opening doors, not locking them. This is her story. In Nakaderi, County Limerick, in 1896, a woman was born. Her name was Sophie Pierce Evans. Her life began in a less than ordinary fashion. On a cold winter's night, at just one years of age, she lay on the kitchen floor. Beside her, just three feet away, her father was bludgeoning her mother to death with a heavy stick. Two aunts stepped up to mind her and she was taken by them to live in Newcastle West. These two believed women should play a woman's role. They cared very deeply for young Sophie and wanted her too to grow up to be a respectable woman. As Sophie grew older she gained a tremendous interest in sport. Playing, analysing and developing it. Her aunts tried very hard to persuade her away from sports as it was unfitting and unladylike. Aside from her ability to excel in sport, from an early age she showed great ability in school. Most tasks for a child of her age she saw as remedial and slow-paced. She quickly excelled here and gained entry to top schools in Cork, Belfast, Armagh and Dublin. In Dublin, she found her sporting passions lay in hockey and tennis and was a star athlete in both. Her education took her to the Royal College of Science and she graduated top of the class in agricultural science. A highly competitive degree. Her career then took a slightly different turn and during World War I she served as a dispatch rider in England and France. In France she drove solo on a motorbike from the frontline trenches to headquarters passing messages. Here she showed she was unafraid of danger darting between bombs, bullets and trenches to fulfil her role without fail. After the war, she remained in England and married. The first of what would be three husbands. She spent time working in London and Aberdeen. It was during this period she rediscovered her love of sport. 
with restrictions in place regarding the sports women could take part in, she took up the high jump and javelin throwing. These sports were alien to her at the time she began them, but that was not going to hold her back. Within 12 months of starting, she represented the United Kingdom at the Women's Olympiad. The Women's Olympiad was created as a response against the ban on female participants in major sports at the 1924 Olympic Games. Skjælfadegjær Ireland has a strange history when we refer to progression, civil rights and civil liberties. In 2017, an openly gay man was chosen to be the leader of his political party and subsequently became the 14th Taoiseach of Ireland. It was only two years before this when he himself was granted the freedom by popular vote to marry a partner of his choice. It was only in 1993, as a result of the efforts of campaigner David Norris, that it was no longer illegal to be gay in Ireland, the home of Oscar Wilde. Before this, the Catholic Church gripped the nation by the throat and conducted its business as it wished under the guise of it knowing better. Aside from that, there has also been a restriction on liberties between Catholics and Protestants, whether through legal practices or from a societal state of mind. In 1916, as Padraig Pierce read the proclamation from outside the GPO, he called for the religious and civil liberties for all in the state he and his comrades were fighting to create. In fact, recently we had a referendum to abolish blasphemy from our constitution. The debate around this became a conversation of a new Ireland, one where the church no longer played a role. This was not, however, the reason behind this law when it was first brought in. The law was created to protect Irish Protestants from those wishing to cause them harm after the Irish Republic became a reality. It was there to protect Wolftone's dream that Catholic and Protestants could live as Irish men and women under one flag regardless of religion or origin. These are all stories for different days. Irish women have had a very mixed history in Ireland. The Celtic world of ancient Ireland saw women as the pivotal members of society often leading armies, ruling their own kingdoms, and effectively being the heads of state. They were often seen as ferocious warriors and incredible leaders. It was under British occupation of Ireland where women were placed at a low level. The British leaders did not see a woman as an individual worth her own skin, and she was only to be the property of a father, brother and later a husband. In Britain, in the early 1900s, the suffragette movement gained some rights for women. Ireland, being part of the United Kingdom at the time, also inherited these new rules. In fact, it was as a result of this, the great Countess Markovic successfully ran for Parliament in Britain, representing South Dublin, and one.
she became the first woman ever to win a seat there. In protest over British rule in Ireland, she never took her seat and instead used her position to liberate Ireland. During the Irish Revolution, the Irish returned to their Celtic ways and Cumann Amon was set up as the Irish Women's Army to fight against the British Army. During the Easter Rising, they fought and defended Stephen's Green against swarms of British soldiers who were confused to find women with rifles facing them as they approached the Green. As well as this, when Ireland gained its independence in 1922, women and men were given equal rights on all things political. They could vote from the same age, own property and run for government. Unfortunately for Sophie, the Irish attitude towards women was not shared across the globe and she knew, outside of Ireland, being a woman would be something she would always have to battle against. Added to that, given the attitude towards the Irish at the time of being no more than shaved monkeys, she had two boulders to push up her metaphorical mountain. At the Women's Olympiad, she became Britain's first women's javelin champion and also set the world record for the high jump. She also finished third in the pentathlon. The following year, she won a silver medal in the long jump. She then published a book, the very first of its kind. It was called Athletics for Women and Girls. The athletics records she had were not beaten by another Irish athlete until the 1960s. She saw that life had no restrictions and she could be and do whatever she wanted. Her aunts back home detested what she was doing and urged relatives in the UK to avoid her if they had daughters as she was setting a bad example for them. In 1925, while bored on a trip with the International Olympic Council, she took a flying lesson. Normally this would have been a no-go for a woman, but given her international status at the time for being one of the world's best athletes, a blind eye was turned. As the two-seater plane rose into the sky, the pilot passed the controls over to her. A sudden rush of adrenaline passed from the palms of her hands, through her veins, up her arms and into her heart. She felt truly alive. This was remarkable. She was going to need more of it. Again, she was to face prejudice against her gender as the powers at the time tried to stop her from pursuing this newfound passion. It would be unladylike and dangerous to have a woman fly a plane. She fought this hard challenging every decision taken against her and powered through countless board hearings. All those she had to appeal to were men. Added to that, the women at the higher levels of society found her ability to think for herself distasteful. 
She also had the issue of being Irish, which was seen as barbaric, uneducated and a class almost lower than zoo monkeys by the British high class. Her cases were also thrown out as, being a woman, she would not be employable for significant periods of time given the ghastly lady issues she would have to manage for one week in every four. Her dream to fly professionally was not going to happen. Her efforts to liberate her dream saw her marriage crumble, but she was not entitled to a divorce. Her husband died in 1927 and she saw this as a tremendous opportunity. She set her eyes on marrying someone who could finance her flying so that she could get her hours in to get a license and also have enough pull in the political classes to let her fly. She was going to use her gender as a tool to liberate her. She married Sir James Heath, a man 45 years older than her and who regularly appeared on the list of wealthiest British bachelors. It was in these lists she found his name and set him as her target. In 1927, the year her first husband died, she remarried and became known as Lady Heath. Now all her goals were in reach. She just had to go out and get them. In her training, she went on to gain a number of aviation records. She gained a world record for highest altitude of a small aircraft, frightening her trainer half to death in the process as they had set out for a regular lesson on that day. Of course, she had other ideas. She also set the altitude record for heavy shorts seaplanes. Whilst learning and perfecting her skills at flight, she learned no woman had ever parachuted from a plane and again in 1927 she jumped from an aircraft and successfully parachuted unaided and untrained to the ground. There were two remarkable things about this feat. One, it was her first time having a parachute on her back and two, she landed in the middle of a football match to ensure everyone saw. At the end of 1927, she gained a license and became the first female pilot to win an open race. She moved to South Africa and began working as a lecturer. On a brief break in America, she qualified as an aviation mechanic top of the class and the first woman in the world to do so. When leaving South Africa to return to England, she thought, why on earth should she buy a ticket? She was more than capable of flying herself home. And wouldn't you know, that is exactly what she did. She became the first pilot, male or female, to fly a small open cockpit aircraft from Cape Town to London. It took over three months. Despite having flown the 9,000 mile flight alone, with no roof on her plane and through storms, 
on the 17th of May 1928, in front of a massive crowd, she stepped from the plane in high heels, silk stockings, a pleated skirt, a fur coat and a hat with full makeup. She often flew back to Ireland, causing great excitement when she was seen flying in regularly to Ballybunion, County Kerry, landing in fields to visit where her aunts were now living. She had become a massive inspiration for the people of Ireland. She would regularly take the locals up in her plane. She eventually managed to convince an airline to give her a job as Dutch airline KLM took her on as a commercial pilot. Another world record was set as she became the first woman in the world to fly a commercial plane. The British media did not care for her antics. How dare this Irish woman step above her status? The backlash for KLM was so bad, the British media led a boycott against their flights. They had to leave Sophie go in order to save the business. She was terribly devastated and left Britain to become a lecturer in America. Here she was held as a hero by other leading aviation women such as Amelia Earhart. Whilst awaiting her American citizenship to come through, she was involved in a crash. She was badly injured in a mistimed landing whilst performing at an air show, crashing onto a roof. Her second husband had left her at this point, realising he was just her ticket to her dreams and she had little to no interest in him. After some time in America, she returned to Ireland with her new husband, a pilot of Caribbean descent. She briefly ran her own private aviation company near Dublin and trained the pilots that would establish Aer Lingus. In 1939, whilst visiting London, her life came to an end. A blood clot suspected to have formed in her airshow crash made its way to her brain and she collapsed on a tram car, never to rise again. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan is Anam Dom. Gurav Mahakut, Slonanish.